Good morning. It's good to see you today. As we uh, get started, let me share just a couple of things before we uh, jump into the message here. First of all, I want to thank those who helped with the backpack day yesterday as we uh, handed those out to a number of families that, that came by. And uh, thanks for those who brought school supplies and those who helped. It was a little warm yesterday out on the asphalt. It was uh, probably a little warm everywhere, but it was definitely warm there. And so for those who came to, uh, to assist, thank you for doing that. A lot of uh, uh, great opportunities to meet some families in our community as well. Uh, also, as you heard, uh, Lee and Amy were married on Friday night. And so, uh, so they're out on their honeymoon this week. There'll be a reception for them on the uh, 7th of uh, August. So please uh, be looking forward to that. Also, real quickly, just want to let you know um, we certainly are praying for uh, for those in our community we know that there have been so many needs uh, you know related to uh, uh, to uh, to conflict and so the, with the uh, situation in Baldwin with the officer there we've certainly been praying for him and, and many have expressed uh, ways in, in which to uh, to assist his family and so we uh, we certainly want to uh, uh, to make mention of that and thank those who have been helping already we want to as Russ has prayed we want to continue to pray for the safety of, of our law enforcement uh, officials also for our uh, for uh, for those who, who serve in public office, there's a lot of uh, a lot of uh, need right now to be praying for them. Uh, you know that there's also a primary that's coming up on August the second, and we want to be involved in that. We want to be thinking and and praying about uh, about that opportunity as well. We have to uh, uh, to be informed, and we have to to be involved in the process. And so, as believers uh, and followers of Christ, we don't want to be absent from from that either. So, be praying for our communities and for our nation. A lot happening right now, and it seems like every week there's something new even within uh, the context of, uh, of, of the global community where you see so much that's happening. And so we're, we're mindful of the need uh, to be praying and to ask for, uh, for God's help uh, right now. Well, as we begin this morning, I, I want to, uh, to start. It's not very often that I, that, I, uh, that I have a quote from a country music song in one of my messages. I have to probably go back quite a few uh, to find one of those. But uh, anyway, I was getting my hair cut recently and I was sitting in the chair and they had a, a country music station playing. Does anybody like to listen to, to country music? We had several in the first service that indicated that they, they enjoy country music. So uh, anyway, I was listening to, the, to this song and uh, not ever heard it before, but uh, there's a guy singing about all these mistakes he'd made. He, uh, he, was, he had in the lyrics about fights and conflict and smoking and drinking and losing his job and going to jail. And uh, have, you, have you heard that one? Have you heard that one? It's, <laughs> am I going to be a little more specific? Okay, yeah, we're talking about country music. Okay, a little more specific. It, I had to look it up, but it's called Starting With Me by Jake Owen. And he's talking about these regrets in his life. And he put in there about how he had a, a, a guitar that was his grandfather's and he took it to a pawn shop and bought a case of beer and a tank of gas. And he obviously regrets that years later. He talked about a time that he was in a, in a fight with his dad on Christmas Day and that he didn't know that it would be his dad's last Christmas. And so he's thinking back just really with regret. And so, so he, he puts this in, in, in the lyrics of his song. And uh, they got my attention and see, see, if, see if, they, if they resonate with you. He said, if I had a dime for half the things I did that didn't make no sense at all, if only I'd known that later on down the road, I'd look back and not like what I see. Can you relate to that? Don't we all have those, those things that we did or we said or those seasons of life where we look back and think, what was I thinking? 
What was I doing? Why was I involved in that? Or why was my attitude such and such? And so we, we look back and I think all of us, if we're honest, right? Which it's okay to be honest. Be honest before the Lord and to think, you know, there are those times that we look back. Now, this isn't a message today to, to think about regret. In fact, I hope that this is a message that will challenge regret and challenge feelings of shame. And in fact, we're going to be looking at a parable today that is about absolute forgiveness. And so I have a feeling that there may be some here today that need to hear the words of the Lord in his parable that we'll be looking at in Luke chapter 7. An opportunity for us to understand forgiveness, maybe more fully comprehend the grace that he has for us. Yes, even in light of our sin, because that's why He came. He came and He died for those sinful thoughts and actions and attitudes. And even after we've been set free from sin, to also know that we can be set free from its bondage, that we don't have to remain trapped and in its shame anymore. I think that we'll see in this parable today that, they, that these reasons give us a reason to praise the Lord for His forgiveness and grace. Luke chapter 7, we'll pick up here in verse 36. Just as a reminder, we're looking at parables this summer. And we see that they're not just stories. There's, there's more to it than that. That, uh, that, that. that Christ Himself wanted to teach spiritual truth. And He would use an earthly story. An earthly story with a heavenly meaning to help bring it to light. Help us understand what it is that, uh, that He wanted us to know. And that He wanted the people of His day to know. Uh, this is an interesting one because it, it takes place in the home of a religious leader, a Pharisee by the name of Simon. And uh, Jesus is invited over to his house for a banquet and some other people show up. And so it's in that context that he shares a parable to communicate his, uh, his forgiveness for a particular individual. Let's look at the setting together and pick up in verse 36. We'll see that it is, of course, a dinner party at the uh, home of the Pharisee. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. So here we have a pretty dramatic setting. We're not to the parable yet. We're just in, a, in an encounter in which Jesus was in the home of a Pharisee, a religious leader named Simon. He invited him over. Had a, had a party, a banquet for him. Now, in that day, it would not be uncommon for an uninvited guest to show up. And that's exactly what happened here. A lady came who had not been invited. Uninvited guests would show up as a way at times to honor the host, to say, hey, you have a, you have a guest and I want to meet him. And so, uh, so she came. And, uh, and as, you, as you read through the parable, or as you read through the, the, uh, the, the passage here, you'll see that there was a, a little bit of, 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 of controversy about who she was, why she was there, and what she was doing, as we'll see in just a minute. But somehow this lady uh, had heard about Jesus, and she wanted to meet him. Now, we don't know how she heard of him. We don't know what, what, the, what the information was, but, but she knew he was there. She wasn't wanting to come to the house of a Pharisee. She was wanting to come and meet Jesus. A once-in-a-lifetime opportunity 
And in this passage, she's described as a what? Did you pick up on it? A, a sinner. And if we look again at verse 39 about the reputation that she had, it's very likely that she was a prostitute. And so here you have, in the religious leader's home, you have Jesus, this one who is a famous teacher and prophet in that time. And then you have the prostitute enter the scene, enter the setting. And she comes and does something very dramatic. She begins washing his feet, something that probably a a servant that, that the host had hired should have been doing. But for some reason that hadn't been done. And so she's weeping. Her tears are pouring out. She is, is, is breaking out ointment and anointing him and serving him and worshiping him. And even, what do you think was the most shocking thing she did? And what we just read. That's right. She even kissed his feet. So in the Pharisee's house, you have this teacher named Jesus, whom we know as the Lord, who is being kissed on his feet by the prostitute. That's the setting in which this parable takes place. Onlookers there that day must have been shocked. Here's the speculation. Speculation comes from Simon. He has a question in his mind. Is Jesus genuine? Jesus claims to be a prophet. Is he really a prophet? Is he really who he says he is? Look at verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself... Notice he's saying this to himself. He's thinking it. He's not saying this out loud. If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, now that probably surprised him, right? I mean, he hadn't hadn't verbalized it. All of a sudden, Jesus is saying something to him. Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. Let's stop there for just a moment. So there's a question on his mind. He sees this woman and what she is uh, is doing there in his home. And he has a question in his mind. He wonders if Jesus really is a prophet, he should know who this woman is. Let's see how he responds to her. Now, as a religious leader, a Pharisee in that day, he would have expected that if a prophet of God understood that there was a a prostitute in his presence who was wiping his feet and kissing them, that he would have probably shown her the door. That's what he would have thought. But that just shows you that Simon didn't know much about Jesus because Jesus knew exactly who she was. And Jesus knew exactly why she was there. And he could see not only in the depths of her heart, he could also see in Simon's mind at the question that he was asking. So, so yes, he was a prophet, and he was, he was very much fully aware of what was happening in this situation. Later it would be written about Jesus and the reason that he came in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 1. I love this statement in verse 15. It says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners to save sinners he would oftentimes say i didn't come for the righteous i came for the sinner and so here we have one who was labeled a sinner maybe known as the greatest sinner in their community who knows what her reputation was like but simon certainly knew her and jesus did as well Let's look at the parable because it's in that context that Jesus gives a parable. He gives a story. Now, this is a short one. 
We've looked at some that were several verses long. This is, this is all of about a verse and a half. And that's it. Very short. But one that I think is very, very powerful and tells us a lot about the way in which the Lord forgives our sin debt. Look at verse 41. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay... He canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. This is interesting because Jesus is taking the scenario of what's happening in the Pharisee's house and he's made a story. And in the story we've said that we can always look at it and we can see that it's, it's, it's like a picture it gives us an idea of, of what's happening and, and it presents a story that we can relate to. We've also said that it's like a window that we can see through it and we can, we can see the Lord. And, and in this case, we can see God as the one who is the one who is the money lender, the one who forgave the debt. But we've also said that the parable is like a mirror, that we look at it and we should find ourselves. And there's two other people there that have debts. One owes 50 denarii. A denarius was a, was a coin. It was an amount of money. It was uh, the amount that a Roman soldier would have been paid for one day's work. And so, so the average person might not have made a denarius in a day, but just for the sake of argument, let's just say that a denarius is a day's labor, a day's wage. So one person has a debt that's equivalent to, to 50 days, nearly two months worth of work. The other has a, a debt of 500 so we're talking, you know, well over a year's worth of, 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 of labor to pay off this debt. And, and in that time, it would have been very difficult to save a lot. If you're making that amount per day, that's about what you need to survive. So, so to save, it would, have been, it would have been difficult. And in fact, the parable says that they could not pay it back. Both of them, in essence, were, were, were unable to pay back this debt. Didn't matter the size of the debt, they weren't able to do it. And so it's a picture of the debt or the sin debt that someone has before God. In fact, the Bible uses the same analogy in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. It says the wages of sin is what? Death. A wage is something that you earn. So if someone is, has sinned, they deserve the punishment or the penalty of that, and they have earned death. So we, we recognize that, that as, as, as people, we've all sinned. In fact, Romans chapter 3 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we, so we recognize the fact that, that we are debtors to God, that we've broken His law and that, that there is a penalty that, that, uh, that, we, uh, that we deserve. And yet in the parable, it speaks of forgiveness. Forgiveness. Two different people, two different sides of debts, but both of them unable to pay and both of them set free from the debt. So it's a, it's a picture of God's forgiveness. Both of the individuals unable, incapable of paying their debt. That's how we are. As sinners, we are, we're incapable of making restitution. We're incapable of working our way to God the Father. We can't undo the fact that we've broken His law. It would be uh, very similar to the, to the fact that if we were to break a, a law on this earth and, and be held in, a, in account for it, it wouldn't matter all the other good things that we had done. It wouldn't make a difference. The point is we've broken 
the law of the state or the law of the city. Well, in this case, it's the law of God. And so we, we all stand before Him and recognize that, 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 that we're guilty and that we're unable to pay. We are those people in the parable. Now, as I read that parable, I'll tell you, I know my life. I know my thoughts. I know my actions. I can look back and, and I, could, I could recount all of the many ways that I've fallen short of the glory of God. And I know that I am, I am the 500 person. In fact, you could probably take that and multiply it over and over and over again. That's who I am. And I look at that parable and say, thank the Lord that, that He's able to even forgive. Forgive the one who has transgressed so many times. And maybe today... You're one that would say, you know, I didn't, I didn't know. I thought maybe it was too late for me. Pastor, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've been a part of. And I would just say that this parable teaches that, that the, the, even the great debt, if we have these outward or external sins that, 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 that hold us back, that they are forgivable. That's what the parable is all about, is that the grace of God is sufficient. It is sufficient. Now, many of us have had a hard time accepting the forgiveness. Maybe we struggle with forgiving ourselves. Maybe you can say, I, I, I believe and I, I know that God's forgiven me, but I just have a hard time getting past it myself. We continue to beat ourselves up. Or maybe there are feelings of shame that take root, even for the Christian. We know we've been forgiven, but we still deal with these, these feelings that hold us back. I don't know if you get the, the, the newsletter that we send out on Fridays, but about three weeks ago, I included an article, a link to an article. And it was called, uh, it is called 10 Things You Should Know About Shame by Heather Davis Nelson. Uh, she wrote the article, but she also wrote a book called Unashamed, Healing Our Brokenness and Finding Freedom from Shame. And, uh, and I thought it was worth sharing because I know that even as believers... We can have struggles related to shame. We can have a hard time moving past our past. There can be things that still haunt us, things that still, that still talk to us and, 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 and try to hold us back or tell us that, that, we, that, we, uh, that, we've, that we're not able to do certain things because of, of what we've done. And so, so I think this idea of shame is something that we need to address and think about from a, from a, from a biblical standpoint and ask the Lord to help us through that. Um, she gave 10 things, and I'll just give you a few of them, just, just in summary. But the first one that she put on the list is to describe shame as being something different from guilt. And she gives a quote from an author named Ed Welch, his book called Shame Interrupted. And uh, uh, he said this, Guilt's message is, I did something bad and needs justification and forgiveness. Shame's message is, I am bad and needs an identity shift and a relational connection. Sin leaves both in its wake, and shame is what lingers even after forgiveness has been sought and granted. Does that resonate with anybody today, this, this thought that, that those feelings can still hang on? That, that, that surely there's a way that, that Christ can set us free from, from the shame? Here's the second point. Shame can arise from others' sin against us. That there can be shameful and sinful acts committed against us, the perpetrator and the victim, and it can be the victim who feels the shame at times even more than the perpetrator. And so, again, how 
to, to bring that before the Lord and, and work through uh, that as well. She said another example is that shame, shame can arise from a past sin that still haunts us. Here's what she said, and I quote, Do you believe that your worst sin has been separated from who you are as far as the east is from the west? She quotes the scripture talking about forgiveness being like the distance from east to west. She says, For those who take refuge in Christ, that is the truth about even your most shameful sin. It is no longer a part of you. Other people may remember, and you may remember, but to the one whose remembrance counts for eternity, your sin is nailed to the cross and no longer has power over you. Can someone say amen? Isn't that great news? Now, the adversary may try to come in and hold us back and remind us and try to, try to tell us that we're something that we're not. But that's Him trying to hold us back from, from the freedom which Christ is giving us. It can also, she says in the article, impact relationships because of shame. If I don't believe that I can be loved, I find it impossible to be in a relationship with someone. And I tend to distance myself from others or to protect myself from being truly known. Because my core belief is that if you really knew me, you wouldn't want to be in a relationship with me. Again, that's shame. And the final one that I want to give, actually it's the ninth one in the article, says this. Shame can disappear in the path of Christ, clearing the way for a restored relationship with God and with others. A relationship with Jesus Christ by faith heals us of shame and brings us freedom. Part of Jesus' mission on earth was to release captives from their prisons. And what a prison Shame can be. He wants us to be victorious over that. He wants to set us free from that. And so as I thought about this situation, here was a woman who was known by the city, who was known by her lifestyle. She could have had shame. She could have had guilt and remorse. But on this day, she went right to the straight, straight into the house of a, of a religious leader. And she went straight to the Lord Jesus Christ. And she openly and passionately worshipped Him. And Jesus told a parable to describe about how her sin debt had also been forgiven. Well, back to Luke chapter 7. Let's look at the response. Verse 44 and following. We see the reason to praise. Then turning toward the woman. So He just given the parable. And he turns to the woman who had just washed his feet with her tears. And turning to her, he speaks to Simon. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. So maybe Simon was the one that had the smaller debt. He'd overlooked the customary uh, uh, 
uh, process of honoring a dinner guest. They would have come in with sandals on, walking on dusty roads, and it would have been, it would have been customary for their feet to be washed, to be, to be uh, to made, made comfortable. But he didn't do that. But contrast him with the woman. She did this, even with her own tears, having lived with intense guilt, knowing that she'd broken the seventh commandment. She was guilty. She wasn't making any excuses. And her culture was letting, it, letting her know who she was wherever she went. But now it was different. Something had happened. Now her guilt was gone. This crushing burden had been lifted from her shoulders. And now she is before the Lord who forgave her. And what is she doing? She is weeping. And she is worshiping. She is serving the Lord. And that is what she is even known for today. Her life had been one of constant rejection. But now, now she'd been accepted by God the Father. She'd been washed. She felt pure. She had repented of her sins. And Jesus freely redeemed her because of her faith and repentance. She realized that she could never pay what she owed. But God paid it all because that's what the cross is all about. That's what the parable was about. All of us, each one of us sitting here today are are morally and spiritually bankrupt. Unable to do it on our own. We are in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now some would say, does a gospel like that encourage sin? Can forgiveness be too free? I don't think so. I don't think a gospel like this encourages sin. I have a feeling that this lady walked out of that house changed, transformed, given a new life. Here's how James Montgomery Boyce said it. He said, The gospel does not promote promiscuity. It is the power of God for the transformation of lives. It is when people recognize that they have been lifted from the dung heap of sin and made sons and daughters of the Most High. It is when they realize that that lives are transformed and they become thankful to God and are determined to live in a way that shows their gratitude. This is the transformed life that Jesus offers. And I don't think that the parable is is teaching that unless one falls into the very deepest depths of sin, that they cannot love God deeply. I don't think it's teaching that. I think it's teaching us that each of us need to have a consciousness of our sin. I've oftentimes said that, that for someone to understand the good news, they must first understand the bad news. The bad news is that, that we are sinners in need of forgiveness, in need of salvation. Once we understand our condition before God, then we can receive by repentance and faith what He wants to give to us. You might ask, well then why do so many Christians show so little love for Christ? Maybe, maybe it's because they've never seen themselves as great sinners. Maybe they've not seen themselves properly and have not experienced the fullness of Christ's forgiveness. People that treat the Lord like Simon did, they give minimum to Him. No water for His feet or oil for His head. 
But you contrast this with the woman who understood her sin, who repented of it, who sought forgiveness from it, to be set free from from the guilt and the shame. She was worshiping. She was openly expressing her adoration and love for Christ. She was praising Him in the Pharisee's house. And what was the reason? Awful sin with awesome forgiveness that led to her praise. The lady of the night who had been famous for her sin is now famous for her faith and famous for her service to the Lord. And I want to tell you, someday, someday, those of us who have trusted Jesus as Savior, we're going to be before the throne of God. And we're going to be singing praises and and we're going to look around and see who's in that heavenly choir. And we're going to see people from, from Hebrews chapter 11. Those, those, those people that are, that are heroes of our faith or, or even martyrs of the faith. And we're going to look around and see the disciples or the prophets. Or we're going to see Mary. And you know who else we're going to see? We're going to, we're going to see this lady. And she's going to be worshiping right there with the rest of us. She's going to be praising Christ together, collectively, all of us sinners who have been redeemed and rescued from the penalty of our sin. I invite you today to consider that. Maybe, maybe you've compared yourself with others and thought you just came out on the good side and didn't really need all this forgiveness. But when we begin to really think, and when we get honest, which is something we don't always do in the church, but when we do, we begin to see our frailty. And we see where we have rejected and where we have sinned. And how much we stand in need of forgiveness. Well, the good news is the parable is about forgiveness, right? And about heavy debts being, being forgiven. So there's hope there. Let me share with you a modern story. Because I think that this is a parable that not only means something to us personally. I think it also kind of sets a tone for the way that we interact with others. Because we don't want to have that, that attitude that the Pharisee had. We don't want to have that. We want to be able to approach people and, and see them as the Lord would. I heard about a guy that was uh, invited to speak at a, uh, at a Christian conference. And uh, the conference happened to be in Honolulu, Hawaii. Who wouldn't turn that down, right? So, uh, so he lived on the East Coast and he flew out. And he said the first night or one of the nights he was just really jet lagged. If, you know, if, if you're in Honolulu, the time difference is such that, uh, that uh, he just woke up really early. And so at 3.30 in the morning, he's wide awake and he's ready for breakfast. So he leaves the hotel and there's really not anything open. But he walks and, and finds one little diner that's open. And uh, he goes in and he gets a cup of coffee and a donut. And he's stand, just sitting there in the diner. And all of a sudden, uh, a group of about eight, eight prostitutes walk in. And he's a little uncomfortable about it. He hears them, they're talking, it's a little crude and so forth. But one of them mentioned that the next day was going to be her birthday. And one of her friends there said, oh, your birthday, huh? What do you expect? You want us to throw you a party? You want us to, to make you a cake? And she said, I, I, I'm not saying that. You have to be mean. I'm just telling you it's my birthday. I wouldn't expect you to throw a party. I've never had a birthday party. I've never had a birthday cake. And they continued talking. But this, this man who was in the diner heard that. And so when the ladies left... He went up to the counter and he said, do those ladies come in very often? And he said, oh yeah, every night, every night. He said, well, one of them, and he kind of described her, uh, said she's going to have a birthday tomorrow. And uh, he said, oh yeah, that's Angie. She's, she's here every night. He says, what do you say we do something special for? Why don't, why don't we have a little birthday party for her? 
And the guy behind the counter said, well, that, that's a good idea. Yeah, let's do that. And he calls his wife over and they begin talking about it. He said, I'm going to bring some, some decorations with me tomorrow. I'll decorate up your diner here and, and we'll have a little birthday party for her. And, and I'll even bring a cake. And he said, no, no, no. The guy behind the counter said, we'll take care of the cake. We'll have it ready for her. And, and so he shows up. 2.30 the next morning brings in decorations and has a big banner and so forth. And, and evidently they knew some other prostitutes in town because a whole lot of them were there early, ready for the party. And uh, he said it was just a little uncomfortable, but there they were, ready for the, uh, for, the, uh, for the birthday party for Angie. And sure enough, a little after 3.30, she comes walking in the door. And the whole group busted out with a happy birthday song to Angie. And let me tell you what her response was. Never have I seen a person so flabbergasted, so stunned, so shaken. Her mouth fell open. Her legs seemed to buckle a bit. Her friend grabbed her arm to steady her and help her sit down on a a stool at the counter as we all sang happy birthday to Angie. Happy birthday to you. Her eyes began to moisten. They put the cake in front of her with candles on it and she couldn't take it anymore and she just broke down and cried. Blow out the candles, Angie. Come on, blow them out. We all like to have a piece of cake. And she just stood there looking at it, shaking her head. Finally, they, uh, they helped her get the candles blown out. And they said, well, let's cut the cake. And she said, well, wait, wait, wait. If it's okay with you, can we wait on that? I'd, I'd just kind of like to look at it for a while. And they go, well, it's your cake. Keep it if you want. Take it home if you want. She said, really? Okay. And so she left. She said, I'm only two doors down. I'm going to take the cake home and keep it. And so there, this Christian conference speaker was standing there with all these people, and it was dead silence after she left. What do I do? She just carried the cake out the door like it was the Holy Grail. And now we're all standing there motionless looking at each other. The door closed, stunned silence in the place, and I broke the silence by saying, what do you say we pray? Looking back on it now, it seems more than strange for me to be leading a prayer meeting with a bunch of prostitutes in a diner in Honolulu at 3.30 in the morning. But then it just felt like the right thing to do. I prayed for Angie. I prayed for her salvation. I prayed that her life would be changed and that God would extend His grace and His mercy to her. When I finished, the guy behind the counter leaned over and said with hostility in his voice, Hey, I didn't know you were a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to? And I answered, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. (laughs) How do we respond to those who've had a life that's been hard, life of challenges? What's in our voice? What's in our eyes as we look at them? Here's the proclamation. New life. New life is given freely. Verse 48 says, He said to her, Again, Jesus speaking to the prostitute, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Yes, her sins may have been like scarlet, but now she's as white as snow. She feels the freedom and joy of being a forgiven person. The other people there may have still been bound up in their hypocrisy and in their system of justification by works, but not her. She walked out of Simon's house 
with a new freedom, no longer under the bondage of sin, no longer her past gripping her, no longer a guilt plaguing her. She was free, or as Jesus would say, she was free indeed. Does Jesus still forgive? Does he still give new life? Is there still transformation for those who come to him bankrupt and unable to save themselves? You bet there is. And so today, the invitation for you is to draw near to him. Maybe you've, you've thought it was too late or you were too far gone or you've given whatever else in that blank. But I want to tell you it's not. Repent of your sin. Agree with God that you've sinned and that you need forgiveness. Ask him to, to be your savior and your Lord and to give you new life. At that point, you can be free indeed as well. I know many of us have already made that commitment, but there may be some here today who have not. And maybe today you're here because Christ himself wants you to be invited to him, even through the use of this parable. Why don't we bow together and pray and ask God to apply his word today to our hearts. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that as a teacher, Jesus creatively used these parables to clarify spiritual truth. And I pray today that hearts have been gripped by your words, your words of forgiveness, your words of acceptance. And God, I pray today for any who are with us who have not yet experienced and received the forgiveness that you offer by your grace, that today can be that day of salvation for them. Lord, I pray that you will, that you will apply your word to our hearts today and even apply it in such a way that it will make a difference when we meet people outside these walls, that we will have a tenderness like you have, that we will have your heart and we'll be willing to, to come alongside and, and bring a message of comfort and encouragement and healing that's based in your forgiveness and mercy. God, we thank you that you have given to us and that we can give back even today through these tithes and offerings. May you bless them and use them for ministry in this church and in the world around us. We again just thank you for the opportunity to worship you today. And we lift this up now before your throne of grace. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.